Welcome to FileMaker Talk. This is Matt Navar. And I'm Matt Petrowski. And we're Matt Squared. Oh, come on. And we're really going to do that again. Well, if we're going to do it, <laughs> let's do it in sync. No, forget it, because last and... time it totally bombed. Let's just, let's just oh. move on. <laughs> What's in the news this week? News. We are going to talk about something that uh, you have worked with. I have not. I've been shown a copy of it, but I haven't taken the time to install it on my iPhone, and that is FM Touch. It's been described as uh, FileMaker Mobile on steroids. It's an iPhone application that you can buy from the from the um, Apple Store for seventy bucks, and or eighty bucks, I think. I'm not sure. Well, it was originally wasn't it ninety nine, and they knocked it down to sixty nine. Uh, yeah, originally it was at a higher price, and they did change it. It's worth it at the price. I think the price is actually set well. Uh, they might want to offer some bulk deals in case people want to buy large numbers of it. There's two really cool things that it does. One of them is it takes a DDR from your FileMaker solution. And it imports that DDR and creates a database on the iPhone. What's the iPhone's native database format? Probably SQLite. SQLite, yeah, I think that's what it is. So it creates a SQLite database on the iPhone, which is relational. So you actually have layouts with portals, and you can edit records in the portals. So it builds that. So that's like one part of the of the core technology. And then the other yeah, the part cool of the core technology... That I saw. Pardon? The coolness factor that I saw that was shown to me was the replication of the... FileMaker layout. Right. So it, it, you know, faithful to the colors, the fonts of your fields and your field headers, the width and height and everything of all that, uh, and graphics even, just a, to a limited function. You obviously, I think that when you do this, you want to actually build specific layouts just for um, this application in your solution. So that's one part of the cool technology. We'll talk about some of the big limitations of that and then the, that, that exists in the current version. And then the other part of the cool technology is it syncs your FileMaker data through a plugin that they give you for free um, to the device, to your iPhone or iPod Touch. So And does that happen just what, you have to be within a Wi-Fi network or yeah, physically kinda, connected? The only way I've been able to, well, actually, there's two different ways you can do it. If you're on the Wi-Fi network and you're, it, uh, it syncs with your computer, so not with the FileMaker server directly, although it does work with hosted data. It actually has to com- communicate with your copy of FileMaker or a copy of FileMaker on a computer. And it's a totally offline solution. So when you are out in the field, it can't... Well, I guess it could sync to an IP address when you're out in the field. Or when you come back to the home office, you could push a sync button and it goes to the local Wi-Fi network, connects to your computer securely because you're inside the firewall, and then does a two-way sync of the data. Do we know anything about conflict resolution? I, Two yet. people have the same data set. Both of them change the same record, the same record, yeah. and then they try to sync. I don't know how that works yet. I've only tried well, the uh, the other cases where you create a new record, edit a new record, and it's only and only one person changes it, and that part seems to work just fine. So the the limitations in the DDR side. One thing that may be kind of obvious is that not everybody has FileMaker Advanced, which is required to make DDRs. So now they provide a tool for free that makes DDRs from your FileMaker database. Um, The DDRs also have to be less than 10 megabytes, which is a pretty big limitation in a large solution. The easy way around that is to actually make a clone of your solution, delete the layouts that are not going to be used on the iPhone, which really that means delete all the layouts except for the two or three that will be used, and then that, and then make a DDR of that file, and that file is vastly smaller if you do that. 
The other big limitations are right now you can't run scripts at all of any kind. So no buttons, no scripts, which is a pretty big... No buttons at all. Right. If you have a button, there's no code that it can execute. So even though the script code is in the DDR file, the database can't read that yet and interpret it and redo what that script does. So are there list views versus form views, and can, how do you move from record to record? There's a Moving from record to record and doing a search is pretty easy. There's buttons for those things built into the application. If you do a search, it basically just sort of goes to find mode, find by example, old school FileMaker, on the same layout that you're on. List view didn't seem to work quite right for me, but portals looked really nice. So list it's view just basically showed a single record for me. It's basically just data access. There's no whiz-bang. It's not like you're going to be programming an iPhone app. Right, not at this version, but this is 1.0. So, And, I, and they've talked about having many of these problems solved, like, for example, the button coding thing, uh, very soon. So what gets me extremely excited about this application isn't the specific feature set that exists today. It's the incredible amount of work that they did to get to this point and the obvious continuation of that on, on future versions of this tool. Uh, this has amazing potential. Well, it's definitely something to uh, look forward to. I think the last time I played with anything mobile was uh, on the Palm, like old, old school Palm VX. We're talking I remember the late palm. 90s. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's FileMaker cool. What Very nice. What other news is going on? Um, I'm scanning the uh, news headlines. We've got a few, um, an update to the Entourage Manipulator from Productive. Uh, MyFM Butler released a new Clip Manager update. Have you used that yeah, Clip Manager? Yeah, a bit. That's actually, I have not gotten into that, but here's something uh, interesting to note that maybe some people don't know that exists out there, and that's probably because this is way on the geeky um you can use a version control systems such as Subversion, Git, and there's a couple others out there. CVS, of course, is probably one of the most commonly known names, but Subversion and Git are the two more popular. I use that for managing my own catalog of custom functions that I use so that I can, I can retain all of the changes and updates as I make changes to uh, various custom functions. Clip Manager would be a nice and obvious way to integrate with some type of version-controlled repository of custom functions, as well as different elements that uh, Clip Manager will manage, because it'll hold the layout and scripts and database definitions and all kinds of stuff. So just a little tip there for anybody who might be interested in getting into uh, ver using version control. Yeah, and, version control on a, and there's uh, repositories of code you can put on, on uh, Google's code and other places like that, right? Yep, very much so. Then we've also got uh, the same company, MyFM Butler, released DoSQL plugin 1.1, uh, FM Pro Migrator. They added Vento, CVS, Tab, Delimited, Unicode, Export, and I released an article for the magazine. And uh, it looks like Albert's got a uh, design caucus coming up. I don't know. Did you do anything with uh, when Albert did that the first time? Um, I've, uh, I've seen some of the videos of him. I've actually been thinking about um, submitting some of my stuff to, to be analyzed at, at a design caucus. And then he also does those events where you can go to some exotic place in the world, bring your solution, and sit down with another 10 developers and take it apart. 
Yeah, I wonder how those uh, actually went. It'd be interesting. Well, the thing that I knew that he was doing this design caucus was online thing that he was doing with a uh, WebEx, where you would basically be able to uh, be in that and uh, take a listen to whatever he's talking about. And I don't know, he was reviewing, I think, solutions and just giving tips about uh, the interface. And there were a few people in there, I think a handful, maybe a dozen or so. Really? I thought there was like 40. I actually didn't pay attention totally, but I knew that there were at least 12, maybe more. <laughs> they, they make um, those videos are available to download because you can watch those WebEx sessions after the fact and watch the screens and listen to the audio, which is pretty great. Yeah, in fact, FileMaker does those as well, don't yep. they? Mm-hmm. It's a really efficient way of doing demonstrations. Very cool. So on with the next segment. It's not FileMaker. What you got for me, square root of Matt? Square root of Matt? Well, Are we the square root of each other? Yeah, I guess that's kind of a silly way to put it, because if we're together or if we're Matt squared, then each of us is really Matt, not the square root of Matt. But it's just it's just funnier to be the square root of Matt. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not FileMaker. Here's something that was actually I had not played with, although I had the full setup in my house, and that was... I had not downloaded the 2.0 version of the iPhone, and I just finally did that. And one of the apps that I downloaded was the Apple Remote, which allows you to control uh, playing the music on iTunes. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I had purchased a while back was an uh, Airport Express, Mm -hmm. which you you basically just plug it into any wall socket, and then you can attach your stereo. So I had... The way that my wife and I were playing our music is we each had to have our laptops open. Those were on our our dining room table or wherever we were, right. and then we would play it, and we'd have to go actually go to those laptops to turn them off or turn the music down or whatever. Yep. Well, it turns out that upstairs I had an old iMac, um, or a Mac Mini, I should say, and it was like a G4 or something like that, but it was... Perfect. It was sitting right there. It wasn't being used. So I just loaded some of the music onto it, and a lot of the times we listen to the regular uh, streaming audio stations. And then I just hooked up the Apple remote to that. And so now, instead of having our laptops on the table, we can simply just, anytime we want to play music throughout the house, we can just pick up our iPhones, connect to that library, and just play whatever we want. It's very, very convenient. And I didn't even know it existed. I've played with it. It's, it's amazingly good. It's, the two-way communication over the Wi-Fi network is awesome. So you immediately see what song's playing. You get the album art for that song, and it all just comes right across the Wi-Fi network. And it's, it's yeah, it's fast, and you can turn the volume up. You can stop it. You mm-hmm. can you know move through songs. It's I, I'm surprised. There's so many things out there that you hear about everybody using the technology, and it's until you start to use it yourself. You just you don't know. Yeah, you don't really realize. The, the thing that I thought was so cool about it was it's essentially it's just an application that runs that connects to iTunes and sees what's playing. Actually, I think it works with iTunes or um, the uh, Wi-Fi base station, the uh, airport, and also works with Apple TV, I think. Yes. Which is, that cool. I've, which is another piece of technology that I just have not gotten a hold of one. But I think it might only work on a airport network. So if you have your iPhone, if you don't have an airport network, but you do have a Mac in your house or PC that's running iTunes, I don't think there's a way to communicate over, like, the phone network. I think you have to use it over Wi-Fi, which is only a small limitation, but it is a limitation. 
I would imagine you would at least have to have the uh, Airport Express. Because the signal's got to go from your iTunes library to somewhere. Right, exactly. But yeah, so. I'm just saying it can't. It has to communicate over Wi-Fi, not over the phone network. There you go. So like at uh, work, when I when I do work at the um, for the state of Oregon, they have a secure building. There's no Wi-Fi networks anywhere, so that makes it impossible to use that that feature. Gotcha. Which is pretty minor, anyway. But yeah, I was I tripped out just like you did when I first started using it. It's something that if you haven't played with, we would recommend that you play with it. Very much so. What's not FileMaker for you? What's not FileMaker for me? That's all I really do is FileMaker. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> that was supposed to be a joke. Uh, I've been in Atlanta, Georgia for the last few days at the Public Health Information Network Conference. It's really like IT for the public health community. Gotcha. Um, and that actually leads into our next segment. I was uh, doing a presentation there showing the program that I've written uh, for the state of Oregon and taking a look at the competition. And one of the things that has really come out of that is it seems like these days in public health, if your solution is not A, open source, and B, accessible by a browser, then they won't consider it. And so that's kind of difficult for the FileMaker uh, community because, you know, FileMaker is typically not open source. It's typically a commercial thing. FileMaker itself, of course, is a commercial application. Right. Uh, although, you know, it links really well to open source things like PHP. But essentially, at the core of it, it's really commercial, and at the core of its use, it's typically very commercial. So I challenge you to a debate. Oh, what side do I get to take? <laughs> you can take the open source side, because I think you're much more knowledgeable about that, and I'm going to poke fun at your open source uh, leanings. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to take the um, <laughs> the commercial software side. So you're fully prepared to be taken down? Yeah, take me down if you can. <laughs> and, uh, and then I also want to talk a little bit about doing FileMaker as open source and how that might look, because we've been, we've been thinking about that for this product we're writing. This particular program, for example, we're going to make available for free to any state that wants to use it. Um, however, if the state actually gets it, they're going to need to buy FileMaker licenses. They're going to need implementation and training documentation and help with customization of someone who's familiar with the system. And right now that's me and a few other people at the state of Oregon who have, have uh, been directly involved in the development of the project. So that's kind of a new way, a new model. So we'll get to that at the end. But first, I think that commercial software is better and has done more and amazing things like the iPhone and iTunes, the Mac even though the Mac has some open source in it, I think that commercial software generally yields more creative um, results than open source. There, the gauntlet's been thrown down. Whoa. Well, before the before you mentioned the more creative part of that sentence, I was uh, I was fine with the, the opinion, but <laughs> you're gonna find creativity in the open source. Now, the one that I use in particular is Drupal. But I'm also familiar with uh, WordPress, Joomla, others that I've looked at, actually Mambo before Joomla became Joomla. But um, I think a testament to open source is the fact that look at all of the, you know, it's unfortunate for FileMaker, but therein lies the problem, licensing for a lot of people when basically what they want is ubiquitous access mm -hmm. becomes a major factor with commercial software like, soft, with, like FileMaker. 
because you can go get an open source system such as Drupal or whatever, and every week the systems are maturing to the degree that they parallel commercial equivalents. And here's my example. Mm -hmm. Salesforce, you've heard of it, right? Yeah. Super popular commercial that's service yeah that's a service application it's web based but you do have to pay for that right and it's there is expensive an equivalent too large companies yes it can be very much just like licensing filemaker but there's an equivalent called sugar crm now it's also provided as a commercial variant cuz most commercial open or most open source projects end up with some type of commercial variant wherein the money comes from the support the enhancement and maintenance and things like that. MySQL, I think, is probably the best example of that, wouldn't you think? Yep. Actually, every you look at going all the way back to uh, the preeminent open source that I can think of was Red Hat. They open sourced, uh, they took open source Linux and then made a commercialized variant of that by providing support and services and then taking it to an enterprise level. But there are open source versions, like I was saying, uh, Sugar CRM. You can go to SugarForge, I think it is, and basically have the equivalent of um, Salesforce or whatever it is. You know, just if you have the knowledge, you can install it, and you have all of that power. That's appealing to organizations that don't want to drop the the dollars for commercial filmmaker. Right. So yeah, just the the whole shift of of money. For purchasing a license versus uh, money for paying for the actual program is kind of a that's hard to get hard to adjust to for some people. Well, look look at all the people that I mean, you hear of a lot of educations dropping FileMaker because of the licensing, and they're like, we just want it to run in the browser. We were using Instant Web Publishing. Uh, Is there just something else we can use? They can go get an open source. They need to find a couple developers, but. They can be up and running relatively quickly. Really, I haven't heard that much of that, because uh, the way that my argument is to take a look at the total cost of ownership, and and I believe that actually compared to open source systems, FileMaker systems actually have a significantly lower total cost of ownership. Yes, there's a license fee. In the case of the program, uh, like what I'm working on, it's really kind of licensed like a vertical market, so it's using FileMaker's. Um, Solution Bundled Agreement, SBA, which are much less expensive licenses than regular ones. So they'd be like $150 instead of $300. And for bucks. seat? Yeah, mm-hmm. for, to buy the license. And servers, a lot less, a lot less expensive too. Wow. So, so then it's a bundled kind of a thing. But then once you have the license, you can use it to develop what other, other applications you want. But you can't buy those licenses unless you're also licensing the solution. As far as I know, the solution can be an open source solution, but you still. But then you have getting the cost of your developers. Yeah, well, see then, yeah, that's the other part of it. So then the the cost of development has to be um, the, it has to be paid for by the support, and not by the development itself, which is a very different model than. And I'm not exactly sure how that's going to work out. Frankly, I don't know how that works out in the open source community if you don't get, you know, a grant or some huge amount of money. Uh, funding the, the development of the initial solution such that then an open source community can then maintain the code and not Aha, the original well, initial developers. Here's okay. another argument for open source in that situation. Open source is the ultimate of leverage because 
there are so many people contributing to that system. Now, granted, you can't guarantee the quality of the code, but because it goes through some type of community peer review, in most instances, if you have a 1,000 or 2,000 individual developers contributing to this system because it was open to start with, your access to existing code is infinitely greater than it is with a closed system. And, you're and that's code again. you I can't didn't believe you're wrong write. again. <laughs> <laughs> no way you can argue against that. Well, first of all, I can. <laughs> I can't be totally wrong. I'm trying to I'm trying to like have some mock silliness here and it's just not working. So, okay, <laughs> if the solution doesn't have critical mass so that you don't have a thousand developers, you might only have, you know, there's only 50 states, right? How many developers are you really going to have? 10? So, On what? You know, who are actually really contributing to make it go forward? And and none, and there's really no financial uh, reason for the, person's, the, the person or per people who created the solution in the first place, who ostensibly know it best and have the long-term goals in mind of what it's supposed to be and are going to be able to take the risks to make the really big changes... Those people aren't going to be involved in it anymore, necessarily. They may walk away and go on to some other thing. Whereas with the well, commercial solution, there's a really strong uh, motivation where you've got the central people who do it are involved in it for the for the life of it, and they actually have a plan for, for very major changes, changes that users aren't asking for, but changes that will benefit the users. Witness all the things that have happened to iTunes. That's like the to, to me the perfect example of a program that starts really humbly, and could never have been never have been created by an open source community. Hmm. But that's because it's there was already existing money behind it. Open source typically starts without money being behind it, but the migration path of open source is once it gets to a point of critical mass, then it does establish some type of base. Within industries where money is, I don't think and my I, I, my example is Drupal, and Drupal has only recently, in the past couple of years, headed towards uh, having a commercialized end, and that's because enterprises where the money is are able to buy into it and then support it with some type of financial effort. Are you really sure that open source doesn't start with money at the beginning? Because all the systems I'm looking at. The two, two specifically, one of them was funded from like $10 million from the CDC, and another one was seeded from $2 million of, from Novell. Well, there you've got larger companies that are making an initial investment. I'm probably referring to open source systems where they sort of just start grassroots, grew up, and existed. Then, you know, the popularity sort of pushed it into this mainstream use, wherein then you have larger enterprises that want to, you know, start to use it, and they're like, okay, we'll contribute back. Okay, such as? Uh, Drupal, WordPress, all the other systems that a lot of people are using. And sometimes some of them get bought up. You know, look at um, uh, what was the TypePad. Right. Uh, I yeah, forget. you know, I think another, a really big distinction that we should also be talking about is vertical versus horizontal marketing solutions, right? Because all the ones you're mentioning, and of course my example, iTunes, are horizontal where they have a very broad appeal and there's millions of potential users. So another industry would be um, a vertical where there's really only hundreds or maybe a couple thousand potential users where you're just not going to get that critical mass of a large number of developers. Yeah. I mean, 
that depends. I mean, people develop and work on things that are interested in, that they are interested in, based on whether it challenges them or not. And that's the one thing that I think FileMaker has going for you. For it, I should say. It challenges your mind to come up with solutions because everything isn't provided right there for you. Right. And, I mean, the same thing applies in open source where, for the most part, engineers, developers, there is the creative aspect, and that's what I sort of compare it to playing with Legos when I was a kid. Programming is my Legos. It's basically putting together parts in order to create something that's really cool. You didn't play with Legos as an adult also? Well, I do now, now that I have a three-year-old son. <laughs> Brings back a lot of memories. I, played a, I went through a Lego phase a few years ago. I got the really big Lego Technique ones with several thousand parts and went on vacation and built a big race car or something. It was awesome. Oh, man, I tell you, it's amazing. There's a whole industry online of, like, professional, quote-unquote, professional Lego developers. There's this... I saw this one picture of this AT-AT, Star Wars... Oh, yeah, yeah. AT-AT. Thing, and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was incredible, the replication. They did it to scale to the size of the, the Lego characters. Whoa. <laughs> and it was like, you know, all the details were like, it's it's amazing what they're doing with that. What's so. that stand for? All-terrain attack something? Anyway, <laughs> how big of a, of a Star Wars geek can you be? So, you can always Google the Lego stuff. Exactly. So back to open source and why you're wrong. <laughs> I am wrong. <laughs> Give me some examples of how open source has made really significant leaps forward. Leaps, for example, like FileMaker adding uh, ESS or iTunes adding, um, you know, iPhone linking and and uh, I guess radio wasn't that huge of a leap. But there's been some really, really huge leaps in all the different versions of iTunes over the years. And quickly, some versions of iTunes last only six weeks, and then they're replaced by newer ones. True, but how is I'm I'm lost on the uh, the open source aspect of iTunes. That's the closed well, source, right? Yeah, iTunes would be my example of a uh, commercial closed source system that has made gigantic leaps forward at, with new versions over time, adding features that are just massive, like the iTunes Music Store is probably the biggest one. And my question to you is, what open source systems have ever made that kind of huge leaps in creativity between one version and the next? Well, first, are we comparing apples to apples or apples to oranges here? Because iTunes and music, I'm having a hard time wrapping my head around how that relates to systems that provide productivity, like a content management system or Linux, an operating system. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, those are comparing Linux and operating system is a little bit more difficult. Um, but let's say so we can compare an application that does a tool. For example, let's compare FileMaker and Drupal. So FileMaker Pro has had when they when they rev the versions, they add really significant features driven by um, commercial. Some features are hits, some features are misses, and the hits they keep building on and make them better. Um, for example, you know, ESS is a pretty major feature that they added that radically changed what you can do with FileMaker. WebViewer, pretty radical. That would be a difficult one to argue in an open source uh, debate since open source is all web. I mean, there's almost... I'm trying to think of any examples of uh, open source software that's not tied to the web somehow, but I'm sure there are some. Well, that's what I was gonna. I was going to say is here's my my biggest. This is probably going to 
expose some of my bias towards um, I'll be completely honest I don't consider FileMaker a viable solution if you're going to do something on the web you mean if you're going to be having a solution that's going to be uh, web focused for the public or have Correct. something that's web focused for within the in, within the organization uh, well that that depends because if it's within the organization and you already have FileMaker an investment in FileMaker infrastructure then yeah, it makes sense to go ahead and just tie it, especially since you're using PHP, which is at least a common ground between open source and what FileMaker is doing. Before with the XML, I'm sorry, that was an that was no way. Yeah, there, yeah. that was that was a no miss to do that. Big time miss. Yeah. That was a XML is hot. Let's put it into our application and let's use that as the language for communicating a web application. No, sorry. Yeah. And that actually, that probably, to be honest, was one of the turnoffs for me for using FileMaker, and probably I still carry some resentment against that type of decision, against FileMaker, whereas right now it probably is sufficiently okay to build your application using the FileMaker PHP API and simply connecting to access your FileMaker data and right. build a web front end. So let's, let's talk about some features of Drupal the major revs that they've had, and what kind of changes that they've brought, and are those on the same scale of what's been brought with FileMaker? Um, I would have to say yes. The biggest, the biggest thing that's going to hurt FileMaker with regards to people jumping from closed-source systems to open-source systems, and Servoy for me also fits in this uh, category because I use Servoy for a good period of time and find that to be an absolutely awesome application, and that's because of the um, stateless versus stateful interaction, meaning you know, when you click something, something immediately happens in the interface, and that's being taken care of with uh, all of your fancy acronyms, AJAX, AHA, everything that is going on within JavaScript within the browser. Right. Those are the leaps and bounds that you're seeing. Because of open source systems such as jQuery in particular, um, it started with Prototype and a few others you're able to invoke a level of interaction that is coming closer and almost equivalent to what you can have with a closed system such as FileMaker or Servoi. I feel myself starting to lose the debate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can... You can you can drag things. You can like drag them up and down within lists. You can't even do that in FileMaker in portals. You can't shift columns with regards to sorting. Now, granted, you still have to have either Flash or Java in order to do like the column swapping thing to change where headers actually exist. Right. You can't. You can do that. Uh, you can do that in AJAX. Actually, it's a little bit more difficult. But the libraries to do it. Um, exist. Right. They're so, there. Yeah, you're talking about user interface widgets, um, and I've integrated some of those with FileMaker, and I've done some of those separate from FileMaker, and I wouldn't necessarily call them rapid application development, depending upon which one you choose and how difficult it is to grab. You know, there's some like the uh, what Yahoo interface objects. Yeah, their widget library. Yeah. Yeah, they've got it. They've got a bunch. Pretty much everything that you. Not everything, I shouldn't say, but a lot of most everything that you would want to do in the web interface, at least to the extent that it covers, I would say, 95% of productivity needs, it can be done in a web browser nowadays, where you don't have to have you know, a, a full control over the environment like you do in a Java app, Servoy, 
or FileMaker. Plus, you, ca you carry a lot of overhead. I mean, think about, the, think about the evolution of the web browser. As they put more into the web browser in terms of what the web browser itself can do, they're eliminating most all pieces of software. Yeah, and the true biggest to a degree, although I still think that use of FileMaker as a relational database program, you know, if you're building a database and it's going to be functioning as a database, I still think that despite these really cool widgets that you're talking about, that it actually is a richer experience than a web browser in most cases. Importing and exporting data, printing and be able to control the printing, uh, control of multiple windows, PDFs, a lot of those things are just so hard to program for on the internet that you'd have to the budget you'd have to get to, to equal what you can do in FileMaker. But that's really kind of a different conversation. That's really that's talking about a FileMaker solution versus a web-based solution. But I'm I was really hoping to just sort of focus on open source versus commercial. No, but that actually is that point is probably your best argument for FileMaker, and I have to concede to the fact that FileMaker has a much lower get-up-and-go level. I mean, you can have something ready to go a lot quicker with a lower level of knowledge required than you do with a lot of open source. Because open source, you have to know multiple technologies, and you have to know what is going on behind those. With MySQL, you have to know SQL. You have to know how its particular implementation of SQL is with regards to comparing it to the standard because it does a few things a little bit differently. You all then also have to know your middleware language, which is PHP or whatever you're using to connect to that back end. And right. then you have to know what's going on in the browser with regards to the interaction. Not so it's almost like browser, you have to know Internet the Explorer, free. different versions, Firefox, Safari, iPhone. True. You, yeah. Well, that's becoming less and less so because the JavaScript libraries are protecting you from that. The JavaScript libraries are like jQuery, take care of the minor differences between the browsers these days. So you almost don't have to worry about that anymore. Unless you're developing .NET. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's totally really a whole diff different thing, isn't it? Totally different. I ran across a program that we were one of the ones that uh, we're competing against or working with, whatever, that is, uh, it only works with Windows XP, um, Internet Explorer 7. So no other version of IE, no other OS. In other words, not um, not Vista, not Mac OS, not iPhone, not anything else. And yet it's a browser-based solution. Just That's really like leaves me scratching X. my head. Yeah, ActiveX in the browser. I hate it when you have to go, you know, and use it. Here's a good tip for Mac users, though. There is a uh, use Firefox, and there is an extension called User Agent Switcher. And in most cases, if a solution that, uh, even if it, well, ActiveX in particular, you have to have Internet Explorer in most, I, I don't think it works in Firefox, but if the solution is set up to work on Windows, you can set your browser on a Macintosh to appear as if it's Windows ex or Internet Explorer. I thought that was a built-in feature for Firefox or for Safari that did that from a long time ago, too. Where you that I have like no a, idea. There's like a, a Safari admin unlocker thing that you can do that unlocks a debug menu and you can tell it to act as a different agent and spoof the uh, other browser. Spoof the server yeah. to tell you it's a different thing. There's actually, um, it, it used to be that, uh, this is going off off topic here, but uh, 
there were forums such as um, I forget what the name of the popular forums were. I think it was like Webmaster Forums or something like that. But basically, they would expose all of their different uh, forum postings to Google and Googlebot looking at the user agent. But if you went there and you were using any other standard browser, they would block it. People would actually uh, use this user agent switcher to set their browser to look like its user agent was Googlebot. So you could then go into these paid areas of uh, of these forums, but then they caught on and they're like, okay, we That's need to block it. And they, smart. they blocked it down to the range of IP that <laughs> Google has, which is much smarter because then you can't, you can't fake that. <laughs> well... Yeah, you can fake a MAC address. <laughs> Hardware Ethernet address can be faked. Yeah, but you can't fake an IP. Really? Uh, try to do it. I've not heard of That's... being able to do it. I mean, maybe you're, you're ultimate, ultimate hackers, but what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to go through proxy servers, but even then they're not yeah. going to have access to the range that only Google has because yeah, they're the really ones true. that assigned that range. That's a different level that I play at, so I don't know. <laughs> so, well, I, I, there's, I love FileMaker for being able to get something going super quick, but I'm a big proponent of open source just because of that leverage factor. I'm totally into leverage. See, I which like the leverage actually, factor, too, and I think there's a way to leverage things, uh, open source and other types of technologies within your FileMaker solution, you know, like using integrating with Google's mapping API um, and a lot of other things like that using the web viewer. But I yeah. actually think you can build really large applications in FileMaker, you know, like Smart Publisher, that run extremely reli- reliably and still, even at that scale, do it for less expensive than you could do with other technologies. Yeah. Well, here's a here's an an extension to the argument with regards to open source versus FileMaker. Open source within FileMaker, and here's here's the primary example that I'm coming from, and that is I recently did a, a video um, where I did a review of a. Uh, uh, application called layout well it's not an application it's a like a bolt-on solution something that you can put into your FileMaker solution but it's completely open but you initially have to pay for it once you get it it's open you can use it as much as you want mm-hmm. Lay- layout properties now one of the things that the FileMaker community doesn't do as much because you have all these individual developers all developing their own thing they have their own method and that's just what they do FileMaker community is really poor at some type of standard shared repository with regards to, okay, if you're going to do this aspect of development, in the partic- in this particular case, layout properties facilitates um, navigation, or actually I should say window management, so efficiently that in my opinion it's almost not even worth it for other FileMaker developers to develop anything else when this one thing is so compact, it's so tight, people are making contributions by sending them to Fabrice that that should sort of be accepted by the FileMaker community and say, yes, you know, for the most part, in 90% of the applications I'm going to develop, this is going to work for my navigation. So I'm just going to use it. And that takes a big component out of a lot of the time that people are spending coming up with and developing navigation each time into every one of the solutions that they're doing. You're right. That does tend to be the case. And I actually didn't know about this, and I really need to implement it. So tell me more. 
Uh, oh, well, it's, it's, it's really awesome. He actually released it a couple of years ago, but Layout Properties is, you know how a lot of the times you will go in and uh, on when you start up the solution, maybe you're going to lock the status area. You're going to show, let's say, the the formatting bar or something like that. And you do that in each of the scripts that you have that navigate to a different layout. There's no point in doing that. What he had done, and this was a couple years back, I think, now, he created one single script that acts as the wrapper for all of the different possible things that you might want to have happen to a layout or a window when you get to that window. And that one script is something that you can copy and paste into another solution. And what happens is on the layout itself, there was, he originally used tab panels, which is a terrible implementation, but now he's using a web viewer. And I actually uh, used just a regular text block. Mm -hmm. But what happens is all you had to do was you would have a navigation script that would go to the layout. But once it got onto the layout, you would call this one script that contained all of the different actions that you might potentially want for that window. So this one script then takes a look at whatever is pat, whatever is specified for that layout and then just does those things. Do you want the status area hidden? Do you want it locked? Do you want to execute a script? Do you want the window to be wrapped? He's even got things such as do you want the window to be modal versus non-modal, meaning you, know, you can't click behind to other windows. And that just happens when you get to the layout. So it's the layout that controls what's going to happen with the window. Right. Hmm. And that means you, you, you just eliminated every one of the scripts that you have that's taking care of all the individual steps for what you want to have happen. This one script is now universally in control of everything, and the layout has the properties for what's going to happen. Cool. Absolutely brilliant and absolutely awesome. So I think we're done with the, and, debate, the debate then officially. <laughs> I guess so, since I'm out here pushing it. We're on to the next topic. Nice <laughs> layout properties. <laughs> Which is okay. <clears throat> you and I can't decide who won. We'll have to let our listeners write in and tell us how badly I beat you. <laughs> or call in. <laughs> or call in, since we've got the, the multiple ways. Right, exactly. FileMaker Talk at on the... Uh, on Skype. On Skype. And then we've also got the 800 number, which is 877-300-2228. And you can leave your feedback, and then we'll uh, play that in the next segment or whenever when we do a follow-up about here's how the debate went down and here's what your opinion was about where we stand. Or send Matt an email at matt at filemakertalk.com. And it'll get to us both. Yep. Any other stuff for this uh, episode? Um, I'd say that's a good amount for me. We're at a good time, somewhere around uh, 40 plus now. We'll come down to like 15 after editing. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, yeah, anything else extra that we've got, we can save it for the next one. Thanks, everyone, for your time. All right, until next time. 